Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland It's the Cincinnati Reds 4 your Cleveland Guardians 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And man, does losing two games to the Cincinnati Reds, getting swept by the Cincinnati Reds in the short two-game series. The Cincinnati Reds who sold off all of their good players in the offseason. Man, does this suck. Well, uh, since it was a day game, I decided to hop on the mic before I go to bed. In fact, to let you in on a little personal news, I'm waiting. I'm staying up to do one of the midnight feedings for the baby. So I figured, why not? It's late night. A dog sitting next to me sleeping on his dog bed. It's time for a little Cleveland Baseball Nightly. That's right, we got a little bit of a different vibe at night, right? A little calmer, a little more collected. Let's go through the game. Let's go through the storylines. We're still going to hit everything. Don't worry. I'm still going to get fired up about Jose Ramirez in the eighth inning. But there's a lot of stuff to discuss from this game. And frankly, the eighth inning, okay, the eighth inning decided the game. But I thought the big storyline they carried throughout the game was actually defense. It's something we don't talk about often on this show. We, You know, there's there's not great metrics and things like that that we can analyze for defense, but there were some huge defensive moments in this game, and we got to shout it out. We got to give credit where credit is due. And uh, Friel's dive in right field, uh, that looked painful. That looked, I forget who the batter was at the time. I bet I could figure it out. But that dive into the right field corner, he has to dive. He doesn't get to drive dive on the grass. Oh, it was Miles Straw. It was the first batter in the game. He doesn't get to dive on the grass. He has to dive on sort of the warning track in foul territory. And that looked painful. So what a catch. What a catch. Not only that, he kind of has to decelerate himself uh, because the wall is coming up. That's why a lot of times when you see corner outfielders going into the wall, usually they slide, right? Uh, Oscar Mercado is very good at this. He's done it a bunch of times in right field. You slide on your hip. You slide on your butt. That way your feet go into the wall. Uh, you can kind of catch yourself with the feet, brace for impact. You don't want to be doing that with your face. So uh, really, uh, you know, throw caution to the wind, diving catch by Friedel in the right field corner to kick things off defensively for the Reds. Now the big, first big defensive play for the Guardians comes in the top of the fourth inning, uh, and it's Miles Straw. Um, in the top of the fourth inning, the uh, Reds look like they're going to have something. Go in Drury singles. Uh, he had a good series. Tommy Pham would then single into center field. Now, I think Hamilton, uh, not Hamilton, I was watching the TV broadcast. I think the guys, Underwood and Manning, and not, I think they read what was happening on the field wrong. Because Drury hesitates coming around second base and then tries to make it for third. And Straw throws a missile from center field. Love to know what the speed on that throw was, but an absolute missile to Jose Ramirez at third base, and they slap the tag on Drury. They nail him trying to take the extra base. And they always say, don't make the first out or the last out at third base, right? 
Because if you know the first out of the inning, there's still so much that can happen. You're already in scoring position. The the second out of the inning, yeah, you are trying to get into a position where you can tag up and score and stuff like that. So you understand why you're trying to get the third base there a little bit. You still should not make any outs at third base. But they thought Drury was trying some kind of stutter step move, like uh, like a running back stutter stepping a linebacker in football. I did not read it that way. It looked to me like a guy who looked over his shoulder, thought, eh, I don't know if I have third base, saw where the ball was and thought, maybe I do have third base. I think he just second guessed himself. I don't think he was trying any fancy running moves there, trying to psych out Miles Straw, but uh, clearly do not run on Miles Straw. Uh, if the announcers have it right, he is leading the uh, team. Uh, leading baseball, I'm sorry, leading all of baseball in outfield assists and throwing guys out. So do not run on Miles Straw. He's definitely earning his keep defensively out there. And then they get a nice double play to end that inning and then follow it up the next inning with another great double play, a double play with the shift on. So Jose Ramirez actually has to make a turn at second base. Former utility infielder, right? Former shortstop second baseman knows his way around the second base bag a little bit. So two double plays and back-to-back innings. That's some solid defense from the Guardians. Uh, The next defensive play goes to the Reds. It's Almora's catch in center field on the the Fermil Reyes monster drive out there in center field. It would be to kick off the fifth inning. And uh, Reyes was absolutely destroying some baseballs in this game. Uh, Let's see what the exit velocity was on this one. in fact, the exit velocity on all the Guardian stuff, it just was not working in their favor. 102.9, 382 feet to the wall in left center field. And Almara just makes a great, great read on the ball in a perfect leap. Like how many times have we seen an outfielder go back on a ball and leap and mistime it and crash into the wall? We just saw Byron Buxton do that in Minnesota, right? Where he has that nasty crash into center field. Um, Amara in this one has it timed perfectly. The jumps perfect. He knows the distance to the wall. He anticipates the impact. He's ready for it. Makes the catch. Secures the ball. Takes the impact against the wall. So a huge, great defensive play for the Reds. That could have been a leadoff double right there for uh, Fermil Reyes. In fact, Fermil Reyes gets robbed a lot in this game, and we are gonna get into more of that. Uh, because the Guardians hit a bunch of balls hard that didn't really do anything, that didn't really go for anything. In fact, there were a ton of hard-hit balls on the day. Both starting pitchers were so good uh, that it didn't really matter. Uh, so that was the other one, and then the defense falls apart in the eighth inning. The defense absolutely falls apart in the eighth inning for the Guardians. Both teams would have a rally in the eighth inning, and I guess this is the second storyline of the game, is what went down in the eighth inning of this game. So Trevor Steffen comes in for Quantrill. Steffen, who has been reliable for most of the season, I think we can all agree that he is one of our best relief pitchers right now. Well, Tyler Naquin, of course, hits a single, a line drive to left field. Palacios, we, I talked about this on Twitter with someone. Someone asked me, I said something about his defense, and he needed to go. I was surprised he came back so quickly because I thought he still needed to work on his defense. And someone asked me, what's wrong with his defense? And it's not physical tools. He has all the physical tools. 
It's decision-making. Remember that throw home, right, where he didn't throw it, he just threw it into Jose Ramirez and let a guy score? That's decision-making. Going back on the ball, getting trapped against the wall, that's decision-making. Here, he gets caught in between. I think if this is Mercado out there, Mercado makes an easy sliding catch, slides on his hip, gets under the ball. You can even slide on your knees if you want to. Get under the ball and make that catch. Palacios doesn't know if he should dive or not. He doesn't know if he should sell out for this ball. And it ends up kind of one-hopping him right at his shoe tops, right in front of him. He gets caught in between. That's the decision-making. That's the experience and the decision-making in the outfield that Palacio still needs to gain that experience. Now, let's see. Let's see the next time a ball is about to one-hop him like that. Does he go down for it? Does he sell out for it? Because I can tell you, Mercado would, Straw would. I don't, I don't think we have enough of a sample size on Quan to say if he would have sold out for that one or not. But Palacios needed to. He needed to. He could have. It's the it's to start the inning. So it's not like you're giving up a run if that ball does get by you. Hopefully, if you dive for it, you're so close, you can at least knock it down. Right? Even if you dive and don't come up with it, chances are you could probably trap it against your body, knock it down, do something, slow it down. You're probably only giving up a double if you don't come up with a catch. But it's worth it. It's worth it at that point in the game, I think, to sell out for it and make a sliding catch there. Um, so the defense lets us down a little bit there. Then Trevor Steffen, the bunt after another single from Colin Moran. Um, Kyle Farmer would come up. He would, uh, actually, I take that back. Yeah, so Kyle Farmer would single through. So it's three singles in a row. He would single through, scores the go-ahead run. It's now 2-1. Then you get the bunt attempt from Almora Jr. And uh, Steffen just fires a missile, a missile that almost takes out the first base coach for Cincinnati. He goes sprawling to the ground to get out of the way. Um, it's just rushing it. It's just, it's just, maybe it's, they don't, you know, how many times have you seen, as a relief pitcher, is he practicing that? Uh, he just got a little excited and just rushes that throw and just fires, you know, one of his 90 plus mile per hour fastballs over the head of Owen Miller at first base. So, yeah, it's a terrible, terrible defensive play. They all move up. They actually throw him out at second base, trying to go from first to second on the overthrow. So he he is out. Uh, he does sacrifice himself. I actually wonder what the official scoring was on this. Um, you know, what do they call it? Is it a is it a field? They call it a sack bunt. Okay, they do call it a sack bunt because if it's a error, if it's a reached on error and then thrown out at second, uh, it actually hurts his batting average. But as a sack bunt, it doesn't hurt his batting average. So there are two really bad defensive plays. And then Friedel hits a sack fly to left field. Uh, Palacios makes a strong throw, just not an accurate throw. I was actually surprised. He got a lot on the ball, just was not an accurate throw at all. So a sack fly brings in the last run of the inning. And yeah, Trevor Steffen just did not have it in this game. He gets hit hard, then makes a really bad defensive play. The defense lets him down in the eighth inning. But uh, we would get out of the inning. Uh, coming into pitch after a walk would be Eli Morgan. Eli Morgan came in, and he threw gas. He was firing. Eli Morgan on the day goes an inning and a third. No hits, no runs, no walks, three strikeouts. Wow. Can we start using Eli Morgan a little more in high-leverage situations? Or maybe give him a start. Uh, so he comes in and at least holds the thing down. 
And the Guardians put together a rally in the eighth inning. They're facing uh, Diaz for the Reds, who did get the save in extra innings on, on Tuesday's game. And uh, Diaz comes in. He gets a ground out from Austin Hedges. Then he walks Miles Straw, walks Stephen Kwan. All right, top of the order, doing what they're supposed to do, getting on base. It brings up Jose Ramirez as the game-tying batter. And he works himself an at bat against Diaz. Remember, he struck out against Diaz to end the game uh, on Tuesday night. And so he gets a little bit of a chance for revenge here. And it's interesting because Diaz throws him the same pitch, the slider down that he struck out on. He throws him that pitch to start, and he swings through it for strike one. Then he starts following him off. Actually, works an eight-pitch at bat. Eventually, on the seventh pitch, would foul off a ball off his shin. If you didn't see it, it hits right above the protective pad he wears on his shin. Hit just above it. He was down. He was hurt. he was really hurting. They uh, they said he's going to go for X-rays. Uh, Francona said he's very sore right now, but they'll have an update on Friday. So as of recording this, I don't have an update. His status is day to day. I'm guessing the guy's going to poor guy's probably going to get at least a day off tomorrow. Um, if not more, we'll see. Hopefully it's not more. Hopefully it's just a big bruise on his shin bone and not anything broken, not anything splintered when they get that x-ray back. Cause it is a very exposed part of the body, the shin right there, the tibia right there as someone who broken his tibia in a former life, it's an easy bone to break. Uh, so hopefully hoping all the best, but Ramirez shakes off the trainers, shakes off the manager. Nobody was taking him out of that game. And he basically takes another slider on the plate. Um, was it a full count? No, it was a 2-2 count still because he had fouled off so many pitches. But he comes back with another slider on the plate after the long break, and he shoots it through right field, brings in a run to score. A huge at-bat from Jose Ramirez, who, by the way, missed hitting a game-tying home run earlier in this at-bat. And maybe it would have been off the wall or in the corner, but it would have been an RBI uh, double at least. Uh, he just pulled it foul. Um I think that's the fastball that he hit 96.8 miles per hour right before he fouled one off his leg. So he had a chance there. This time he shoots one through 86.9 miles per hour, shoots it through the right side. You can see he's limping on the follow through like he can't plant his right foot on the follow through the swing. It looks painful. They take him out for a pinch runner. But serious, serious heroics from Jose Ramirez in something that doesn't even win the game. It doesn't tie the game, right? We ultimately end up losing this game. But still, I mean, what an at-bat for Ramirez on a Thursday in the middle of May to just hang in there and be tough like that. That's why he's our guy. That's why he's our leader. Man, the toughness of Jose Ramirez is unquestioned. So, a huge moment there for the Guardians in the eighth inning. However, they can't get anything else done in that inning. Uh, Owen Miller would actually ground into a double play to end the inning. So it hurts. It sucks. We had a chance there. It would be our final chance. We go one, two, three in the ninth. And that's it. The Guardians did not hit a lot in this game. I mean, the Guardians, it was pretty pretty rough. I pulled up, I don't normally go to fan graphs because they don't normally update things uh, in, a, in a, you know, quick enough for us to do this podcast, but they do have the information up from this game. And uh, 
frankly, it was a batting average balls in play. If you've ever seen it on uh, StatCast or Savant or Fangraphs, it's BAPBIP. BAPBIP. We've talked about it on the show. It's batting average balls in play. It's simple. If you strike out, if you walk, we're not counting. We're not worried about that. If you put the ball in the field of play, that's all we're worried about. The Guardians were 125 on the day. Uh, the Reds were 318. So that shows a few things. Number one, the Reds were just hitting the ball. They were just hot. Two, it shows a little bit of luck and a little bit of unluckiness for the Guardians. And when I talked about exit velocity, and for me, Reyes is the perfect example of this. I mean, this guy has two of the hardest hit balls on the day. Uh, the number two hardest hit ball behind Tyler Naquin's home run. Tyler Naquin goes 111, 423 feet to clear the wall in left field. That's the hardest hit ball in the day. We will get to Tyler Naquin in a second. Reyes, that sack fly to center field that scored the first run of the game for the Guardians. They actually start the scoring in the second inning. They had a lead. He hit a sack fly after a um, an Owen Miller double. He hits a sack fly to center field. He thought was a home run. 410 to center field, 109 miles per hour exit velocity, and it only goes for a sack fly. So, yeah, some bad luck there. Palacios lines out at 104 miles per hour right into the second baseman in the shift. They were shifted over for him to pull the ball, and he does right into that shift at 104 miles per hour. Reyes' other flyout, the great catch by Elmer against the wall, 102.9 mile per hour exit velocity. Andres Jimenez's line out to end the game, he squared it up 102.1 right at the right fielder. I believe that's Friedel out there. So yeah, the Guardians really hit some hard hit balls on the day that just go for not. They just don't turn into anything. And that's a little bit of that bap bip. That's a little bit of that bad luck from the Guardians hitters. Uh, and it's why they only have three hits on the day, right? Two runs and three hits against a Reds team. Now, we should say the Reds have been playing better. You saw the stats on the game. I, you know, I don't have all of them in front of me, but I can tell you that the Reds have definitely been playing better over the last 10 days, over the last 15 days. The Guardians have not. Um, looking at the Guardians hitters, you can actually go on MLB.com and look over the just the last 15 days. Right, we'll go to old school batting average just over the last 15 days. Here are your leadoff hitters for the Guardians. Miles Straw over the last 15 days is hitting 158 with a 494 OPS. Stephen Kwan is hitting 171 with a 574 OPS. His on base percentage is keeping him in there. He's got eight walks in that time. By the way, Straw has seven walks in that time, so the walks are keeping him in there. Jose Ramirez is hitting 205 over the last 15 days with a 627 OPS. Um, and Owen Miller is hitting 220 over the last five days with a 672 OPS. Palacios, in a smaller sample size, he only has 18 at bats, only five games played, but he's only hitting 222 with a 444 OPS in the last 15 days. The guys that are hitting, Ahmed Rosario is hitting 275. Andres Jimenez is hitting 275 with an 835 OPS. Um, Mercado is actually hitting a little bit in limited at-bats, only 18 at-bats. He's hitting 278. Fermil Reyes is hitting 314. Um, And Naylor, of course, before COVID, was just a monster. He was hitting 368 with a 1.304 OPS over the last 15 days. It was only five games played, though, by the way. So Naylor, obviously, the COVID slows him down. So, yeah, 
those top four hitters in your lineup, besides the catchers, the catchers are the two worst hitters over the last 15 days. And then it's your, in order, in order, your leadoff hitter, your two hitter, your three hitter, and your four hitter. That's not a good recipe. You can't have all four of those guys slumping to, to lead off games, to be the top of your lineup. You need the top of your lineup to do a little more than that. So you can see why the Guardians offense has been struggling struggling recently. They can't get anything going at the top of their lineup. So yeah, that was rough. And it was a rough day. It showed on this day. Um, Jose Ramirez's uh, RBI hit and Owen Miller's eventually run scoring double in the second inning would be the only hits from the top of the lineup. Frankly, Ahmed Rosario uh, was the only other one to get a hit on the day. So a really bad offensive day for the Guardians. Um, Not a bad offensive day for Tyler Naquin, though. Tyler Naquin, this is crazy. I'm over on baseball reference. I don't know if this is updated with today's game. But in 29 plate appearances against his former team, the former number one pick of the Cleveland Indians, Tyler Naquin, since going to Cincinnati, Against the guard, against the Cleveland franchise, he's hitting 407, 448 on base, 926 slugging. It's good for a 1.374 OPS. They have this thing here called the TOPS plus. It's a split relative to a player's player's total OPS. So whatever he's done for his career, his total OPS for his career would be a hundred. So what is his OPS against the Guardians compared to that? It's at 242. That's how good he's been over 142% better against Cleveland than he has been for his entire career. So yeah, and he makes us pay in this series. He does it again against us. I can't believe it that Tyler Naquin gets us again. He goes two for four in this game with a home run, the two runs scored, um, including that go-ahead run in the eighth inning. I can't believe the guy is, just keeps doing it against us. Um, so, yeah, so it, does, it's, it stings a little bit that we kind of gave up on Tyler Naquin, considering how much outfield help we needed. Um, the Guardians also gave him a bunch of pitches down, and he handles pitches down. I don't know why we didn't attack this guy more at the top of the zone. Speaking of attacking, all right, I've waited way, way too long to talk about the pitchers because Cal Quantrill was fantastic. Frankly, Tyler Malley was fantastic against him, too. That's right. I figured out how to say his name. If you caught last episode, I think we went through this earlier in the season. Malley, like Malley's Chocolates here in Cleveland. It should be something easy to remember. If you're not from Cleveland, Malley's Chocolates is a fine local, uh, you know, sweets maker. Uh, So Malley, I should be able to remember that. I keep wanting to say Mahal. There's a bowling alley. There's an old school bowling alley in Cleveland called Mahal's 20 Lanes. You have to keep score by hand on paper. That's how old school it is. So I always think of that when I see this name. Tyler Malley pitched very well across from Cal Quantrill. So the final line for Quantrill, seven innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, no walks, five strikeouts, the home run being the only run he gives up on 95 pitches. Malley on the other side does go six and a third, gives up only two hits, one earned run, that Owen Miller double in the second inning. Uh, two walks, four strikeouts on 105 pitches. Quantrill was hard hit a few more times, but my God, was Quantrill throwing strikes. Uh, if we go to the player breakdown here, what was working for him on the day? Uh, it was that cutter, nine called strikes on the cutter. 
Uh, it's a 38% CSW. Add in a few four-seam fastballs that got in there. A 57% uh, CSW on that. It's only a 29% CSW. But, I mean, if you add in the 23 foul balls, this guy was racking up the strikes. On 95 pitches, he throws 69 strikes. It's good for a 72.6% strike rate. That is absolutely incredible. And he was working ahead. If we go over to the illustrator here and we take a look at the count breakdown, something we've been doing a lot recently, he was working ahead. It's amazing how many guys, only one guy gets to 2-0 and on Quantrill. Only one guy gets to 2-1 and on Quantrill. Nobody makes it to 3-0. and Nobody makes it to 3-1. and Four guys are able to eventually work full counts off of him, but he is working so far ahead on all these guys. So that's really a great job by Quantrill of just being aggressive, being really, really aggressive against this Reds team. What was he throwing? Where was he throwing it? I mean, he throws so much hard stuff. He was keeping the sinker mostly to his arm side, mostly on the left edge of the plate from the catcher's view. He was throwing that cutter to both sides, um, throwing the changeup, keeping the changeup on the arm side, uh, and the few fastballs that he did throw. Frankly, he kept a lot of stuff uh, to the arm side of the plate for him. If we're looking at the catcher's view here, it's the left edge of the plate. He let a few cutters come across, threw a few cutters across to that other side, a few two-seamers when he had to, a few fastballs when he had to, but mostly kept most of his pitches, I would say, left of center from the catcher's view. Uh, so yeah, Quantrill being very aggressive in this game. Now that's not to take anything away from uh, Malley, uh, who also was very aggressive in this game. Uh, let's see here. On 105 pitches, he threw 67 strikes. Uh, and he was throwing the fastball. He was actually throwing the fastball across the plate. It would be inside to like left-handed hitters. Um, throwing it across the plate inside on Quan. Uh, let's see who else is out here. Uh, away from the right-handed hitters, Rosario and uh, Fermil Reyes. Um, so yeah, he was actually throwing this ball across the zone, trying to hit the outside zone against a lot of these right-handed batters. Um, threw the splitter uh, towards his arm side. He's a righty as well. So he threw the splitter inside to his arm side and kept it down. Uh, a fair amount, and then was letting that slider sweep across the zone. Um, when he went through the cutter, it was definitely to the arm side of the plate, and he threw it, it looks like here, mostly to the left-handed hitters. Palacios, Quan, Jose Ramirez, it looks like he was trying to use his cutter a lot against left-handed hitters. So that was the pitch mix that was working for Malley, and he just it doesn't do anything special. He also doesn't have a huge CSW numbers on the day, he only gets six whiffs on 44 swings. It's only a 14% whiff rate. Uh, Quantrill's wasn't much better. A seven whiffs on 48 swings, a 15% whiff rate. Uh, so yeah, so Malley wasn't necessarily dominating. Uh, his his best CSW numbers come on his cutter, which he only threw nine times. Everything else is kind of in the 20s. And he throws a 28% CSW total on the day. Uh, did get us to foul off a lot of those four-seam fastballs. He threw it 50 times. Um, and he got 14 foul balls on it. So 
that's how Malley did it. I like we said the exit velocity. We talked about this earlier. The bat bip, the batting average balls in play. I think he was getting he was either getting some luck or he was definitely getting him to hit it into his defense where his defense was set up. Especially in the case of that Palacios line drive that gets snagged by the second baseman out there in the grass and right field. Uh yeah, just limiting damage all day long. Uh it's a great job. It's a great job of pitching on both sides by both starters. Uh, and unfortunately, a really boring offensive day for your Cleveland Guardians. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. MVP on the day, you got to give it up to Jose Ramirez for the heroics for staying in the game after the leg injury. Uh, it was a real gutsy performance there in the eighth inning. And hopefully, I mean, who knows? Maybe they throw some ice on it and it's feeling better tomorrow. Maybe he misses a day, lets the swelling go down a little bit. Either way, Jose Ramirez for today, in the loss, unfortunately, you're getting MVP on the day. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. That is all the storylines from this series against the Reds, or this game against the Reds, I should say. The storyline is we should not be losing games right now. This is the part of the schedule where we should be racking up wins. We should come out of this next month of games worth of games. So mid-June, we should come out of this up five games over 500, seven games over 500. We should come up in this. We're, we got the, we had the Reds and we lose. We get swept by them. And we have Detroit. Houston will be tough. We face Detroit again. Kansas City. Baltimore, Texas, Oakland. These are all winnable games before we have to go on a big West Coast trip against Colorado and the Dodgers and then Minnesota. So a huge nine-game road trip. So yeah, we should take the opportunity here to try to get our record back up over 500 and come out of this in a nice, comfortable position. But this is not how you want to start something like that. Uh, You know, getting swept by the Reds, one of arguably, even though they're playing better now, They've been one of the worst teams in baseball this season. Uh, so this hurts. This really, really hurts. Uh, hurts like Jose Ramirez's shin right now. That's how this feels right now. All right, that is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Again, the final from Cleveland. It's the Guardians to the Reds four. We will be back tomorrow to talk about this Tiger series. We're kicking things off with Scooble going against Safali. Can Savali survive the first inning, or is it going to be another one of these Aaron Savali games? Uh, He seems to settle down once he gets through the first few innings, but it's been brutal lately. We'll be back to talk about this game. We'll be back Saturday morning to talk about this. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the Ohio Cup Series losing to the Reds. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly.